Hello, hello, hello. I am your Ariel the Mermaid, hostess with the most is Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood to lick it right, lick it good, show you how to Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hey there, and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And how y'all doing? It is a freezing here in New York City. And folks, this is a PSA. Um, when they tell you to plug your space heater into the wall, listen to them. Because <laughs> yours truly almost started a fire, I think. Um, and had it not been for a very brand new surge protector, I think I... Um, not so funnily would have had one, but like I like blew out a, an electrical outlet. I don't even know, but um, it was scary for a minute and then everything is fine. But um, plug your space heaters into the wall and make sure everything is up to date. I live in a very old building and so I had a very exciting weekend <laughs> or a very exciting uh, and scary couple few hours. Um, and that's how I'm starting this podcast off because there really isn't very much news except for, you know, we've been working away, um, you know, juicing, dieting, doing all, all the beginning of the year things. But I'm really, really excited to have a guest today, my first one of the year and almost at my five-year anniversary. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Eric C. Say hi. Good morning. <laughs> How are you? Good morning. Good morning, as the kids say these days. I'm well. How are you? I'm I'm hanging in there. It's um it's another Monday. It another, is. We are. Oh, sorry, it's another day. Yeah, it's a, we can listen. It, the audience is under no impression that these are recorded a la minute. Okay. okay. Well, in that case, it's um. February 13th, 2002. Uh, <laughs> exactly. They, they don't. Exactly. Let's, let's, let's do a period piece. Um, uh, shall we put on action? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just like, let's, let's take it back to the 80s in New York. Let's, let's have that kind of podcast. As long as I can, as long as I can be Liza Minnelli in the 80s. Okay, go for it. You can. Right? Just <laughs> like 
just like drugged out Elijah Minnelli, just living the best life, you know? I'm not going to be able to keep up with that, but I'm going to let you live your best life. You know, just like, yeah, like eating all the things or not eating all the things, but being at all the places and <laughs> doing all the things. Well, this has been a long time coming because you and I have crossed paths um, knowingly and unknowingly uh, for quite some time now. So I am very happy to have you here finally. Likewise, I know a multitude of times. I just, can I take it back for one second? I need to hear about the plugging the space heater into the wall? What's the other option? Well, I mean, you plug it in. So I live in 120 square feet in this very old building in Times Square. I do not have a lot of outlets in this apartment. So it's very 1982 in here where, like, there's a surge protector plugged into a surge protector, which is a fire into, hazard. Cord into, into, into. Yes. Okay. Um, but they're all, like, as brand new as they can possibly be. And I'm trying to, like, minimize it all. But, like... The uh, the heating thing, the what what do you call it? Now I'm having a brain fart. The heater, the space heater, <laughs> uh, was plugged into a surge protector that was plugged into a surge protector into a wall. So it's absolutely my fault. <laughs> but um, you're yes, playing, you're playing human centipede with the electric work. I see. Yes, but I mean it's very New York and it's very dangerous. I do not recommend it. But it's been like that for the past almost 14 years. Um, although I do switch out the surge protectors and keep them fresh and like new. Um, and I just didn't really have another option. And so I thought the power went out at one point until I realized only one section of my tiny apartment went out. And then I realized that the outlet was scorched. <laughs> and then I was, I broke out the fire extinguisher and I was feeling the wall and I was like, oh God, you know? So it was not, it's funny now, but it, it's not funny. Like <laughs> I find myself thinking that the power went out pretty often. And then I realize that I'm just disassociating from yeah. reality and it's nothing to do with anything electric. But we did almost have an electric fire at Ursula at my restaurant this week. Also, same thing. The outlet started on fire for our oven. Oh. We lost our oven for a day. Maybe it's the full moon. Maybe it's the full moon. But now and I have to... My electrician said he was just at another restaurant that the same thing happened. Yikes. Yikes. It's maybe old it electrical work. Well, we are already off the, whale, the rails and we haven't even started yet. Listen, I got to do what I got to do. And in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, Eric, I need to wish you happy National Molasses Bar Day. Molasses Bar... I didn't know that was a thing, but neither, thank you. Happy, happy Molasses Bar Day to all those who celebrate. Yes, right? And to those who don't celebrate, we celebrate you today, too. I don't even know what a molasses bar is. Never heard of it. Is I was like, like the molasses. I don't, I mean, I actually feel like I would like that. I like, I like chewy, tacky things. Yeah, you and me both. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they kind of look like blondies. And then there's like a chocolate. Oh, okay, is it more like a brownie? I was ready for like a candy. Yeah, me like too. Caramel, like a caramel. Yeah. Hmm. I did yeah. try. Either way. Yeah. You know what? Put that on the menu at Ursula. <laughs> <laughs> Hand one of those out with those burritos. You know next, year, next year, in celebration of this podcast and National Molasses Bar Day. We'll, we'll do a special. We're in a special. Yeah, I, I'm here for it. Maybe I'll come in and do a pop-up, right? <laughs> a molasses pop-up. Actually, that's, that's what we should do. We'll host you for a pop-up. 
Yeah, that's absolutely it. Well, well, you're in luck because it's also National Potato Lovers Day. That I can get down with. I lo- and that aligns perfectly with Ursula. I go through like 700 pounds of potatoes every week. Wow. Have you seen this thing that's happening on TikTok where people um, break out the mandolin and then uh, put the potatoes in like one of those like uh, loaf tins and bake it and like smush it? And then they cut it and then they fry it. It's like this like 24-hour potato process. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. There's another word for them. But I have heard I have heard of them as being referred to as TikTok potatoes. Uh, yes. We actually, we used them for a pop-up uh, last summer. We, we did a little version of it. That's a lot of work for potatoes. It yeah. is. They're beautiful, though. They're stunning. Stunning. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's the drag queen of the potato world, I'm sure. But... It's so funny, though, that TikTok is the reference for that. I feel like it's some fine French technique, but it's now been uh, referred to as the TikTok potato. TikTok potatoes. I mean, well, you know what? Um, whatever whatever is educating the children these days, I guess. Maybe maybe those potatoes ha- hath inspired some youngin to go to the French Culinary Institute. How about that? Maybe. I, just, I, get, I feel very attacked sometimes when I... I hear a song that I, I grew up with in, in the 90s, like a, a really wonderful R&B ballad. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, that TikTok song. I'll be like, no, 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 no. That was out far before TikTok. Don't be rude. You mean like legs, hips, and body? <laughs> that. Or I, I don't know. I was listening to INOJ, Love You Down. Uh, yes, let me love you down. Yeah, I was like, I could just wait for that to show up on TikTok, and like all my staff are talking about it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that TikTok song." I'm like, you, no, you don't know. You you don't know. You know your you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, no matter what you celebrate out there, whether it's National Molasses Bar Day, National Potato Lovers Day, which I'm feeling mu- uh, much like a potato these days, so love <laughs> love me down. <laughs> We celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, did you know that in 1990, the U.S. Senate passes hate crime statistic acts? Uh, in 1990, U.S. Senate passes hate crimes statistics act, requiring the federal government to compile data on hate crimes against gays and lesbians. It's the first U.S. law that recognizes gays and lesbians. Well, that's a move. That's something we can celebrate. I like that. I mean, especially since, or maybe not, because all these hate crimes are on the rise again with all these people being drugged and and robbed. It's true, but at least now with that classification, there's a a higher degree of penalty. Yes, true, true. You know what? Shout out, shout out to uh, whoever made that happen. And and seeing the LGBTQ plus community as a uh, targeted community so i think that's important yeah absolutely absolutely oh and shout out to um kim petras on this day for taking home a grammy as the first trans woman with a grammy I saw that. yes i also saw that what beyonce is now the most decorated uh grammy award winner ever yes and they still snubbed her for album of the year or song of the year or whatever it was i didn't watch sorry i haven't seen any of the awards i got a new york times like news alert on my phone about (laughs) it's a breaking news beyonce now the uh most decorated grammy artist of all time yes well at least new york times knows its audience for me so 
Absolutely. This is now the gayest podcast on the internet because we are, we we have skipped all food talk and <laughs> and covered everything from lesbianism, home construction to Beyonce. <laughs> Listen, it's all it's all cyclical. It's all part of gay food. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to the getting on here and celebrate you. In your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, but you probably already do, James Beard Award nominee, yes, ma'am, Eric C. thrived as a restaurant worker from a young age. C. attended culinary school in Albuquerque, but through a table waiting competition with Skills USA, won a scholarship to the New England Culinary Institute. C. interned at Locanda Verde with James Beard Award winning pastry chef Karen DeMosco for almost a year. He went on to work at Boulay Olivier Cheng Catering, which I work for, FYI, another crossover, yeah. uh, the Core Club, Saloum, and Mary Giuliani Catering and Events, where he has been pastry chef for seven years. In 2014, C founded The Awkward Scone, and one dish changed his career. The breakfast burrito. Mm. With a shortage of southwestern cuisine nearby, New Yorkers latched on to C's burritos, packed with hash browns, eggs, and green chile. The effects of COVID-19 forced C to shutter the awkward scone uh, that June. Frustrated, C and his dog went on a road trip to New Mexico. But in the desert, he reconnected with his love of New Mexican food and had a screw-it realization. He could start over. Thanks to the help of his devoted fan base and the local Crown Heights restaurant community, C opened Ursula. Since then, he has been using his kitchen as a hub for relief work to serve meals and grocery kits to the Alley Fournee Center and the Street Vendor Project. Passionate about combating food insecurity, he has also worked with immigration equality, the center services, and advocacy for LGBT elders, SAGE, the Okra Project, and many others. He has also hosted pop-ups featuring many queer chefs at his new restaurant, Ursula. Yes, look at you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, so, that introduction came from a website, which I should probably quote, because I had to do some deep digging, and I closed it out. So thank you to whomever wrote that. That wasn't mine. There is one change to that. I, I think when you read it, uh, at the time of whenever this was published, I was still doing all the pastry work for Mary Giuliani Catering. That... Yeah is in the past. Oh, okay. Well, I thankfully had become too busy taking care of Ursula that I uh, sunset that part of my career. That's lovely. I know. And we, like I said, before we hit record, we have so many crossovers, Locanda Verde, which I worked right next door, which was, you know, a big connect because of Mr. Man. And then um, Olivier Chang, right? When did you work there? Oh, my God. Where, where, what did you do over there? Um, captaining and cater waiting, you know? I mean, I guess we would have had to run into each other. Yeah. I, did, I cater waited sometimes, but I was also, uh, I worked in the pastry kitchen there, and then I would do events in the kitchen. Yes, yes, yes. So, you know what? I want to start at a very interesting place because... Uh, if you didn't know, I, I was on a little bit of a Netflix show uh, called Easy Bake Battle that filmed in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And it was my first time in Albuquerque. And the locals are green chile proud. So oh. much so, so much so that they they just prompt, if they figure you're from out of town, they lead off with the green chile, right? Like, 
And at one point, I I asked this Uber driver if the government was paying them for all this green Chile tourism <laughs> uh, because there was I was being fed so much of it unprompted. Why is there so much green Chile pride in New Mexico? I don't know. You're, you're saying that as I'm staring at a bag of green chili that I have on the counter here, too. That I'm taking yeah. to, to another restaurant owner this week. Uh, and I'm I'm pushing drugs just like you're talking about all of, uh, <laughs> my friends and family back home. Uh, it's just, it's a, just a sense of pride. I feel like um, you see that in other food items in different places around the, uh, the country. Like, I feel like New York loves to push a bagel on you. Um, Are we bagel pushers? I feel like we're pizza pushers more than we're bagel pushers. And pizza, yeah. Or a bacon, egg, and cheese. Uh, Definitely a bacon, egg, and cheese. Yeah. Like, we each have our thing. And that's one of the biggest agricultural exports in New Mexico. But it's, um, there's other, like, there's other cool history about the chili um, industry there and the way that it's moved outside of New Mexico. Most of the modern chili hybrids that we see grown in, like even California and Colorado, were uh, hybridized. Their ancestral roots are in New Mexico. There's a horticulturalist from Mexico that uh, took a bunch of different seeds from northern Mexico and then from uh, northern New Mexico and put them together to create... uh, New Mexico number nine was like the the ancestor of all the modern chilies grown in New Mexico uh, commercially. And those have been sourced out to like California. They've made hybrids that that'll exist in each location or thrive there. But um, that's it's just a huge sense of pride because it's like kind of like the the mother of all the commercially grown chilies in the U.S. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. And, I just found and- it. I found it fascinating, uh, to be honest, that. It was it. Everybody, all the locals, just let off with. Have you had the chilies? Have you had the red ones? Have you had the Christmas? You know. <laughs> what time of year were you there? I was there beginning of December, twenty twenty one. If you are there during August through October, it's like that on steroids because that's harvest season. And you see they have chili roasters on the corner of like every street and the smell of the chili like permeates the city. I love that. You can go to a Walmart. You can go, you can basically go to like a CVS and have your chili roasted for you. Yeah. Um, I, they, 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 they tell you that too. I love it. I love it. And some green chili ranch. Oh my God. Oh yeah. That's good. That one. I Sometimes they get a little crazy putting green chili in things. And I'm like, there, there has to be boundaries. There has to be limits. We can't disrespect each other like this. <laughs> but it's a, it's a, everywhere. You get yeah. every place you can add green chili to whatever you want. Where does the love of food come from? For myself or for? Yeah, for yourself. Society. <laughs> um, no, uh, for yourself. I don't know. I mean, I've always liked eating. Uh, I have an insatiable sweet tooth. But if you're talking about like career-wise, uh when I was a kid, I've, I've been in a restaurant since I was like 11. I used to work on the weekends, uh, illegal child labor trade um, at a small airport outside of my hometown. I would go work in this little diner with the chef there and wait tables. And I was always like a young entrepreneur, always trying to have my own money, always trying to hustle everybody. So from like 11 on, the moment that I was waiting tables and was like taking home cash tips, I was like, oh, I like this. But I, just, I liked the social side of it. 
at the same time, I used to have my parents take me to the AAA offices to get all the guidebooks. And I would plan out these like fake or fantasy trips that for me, they weren't fake because it was something that I uh, dreamed would sometime happen. But I wanted to be like, I wanted to be a travel agent. I was really, really enamored by the idea of foreign cultural exchange and, and travel. Um, and just working in restaurants from that time on, I kind of connected those two loves of uh, food and culture and travel. Um, I was like, I mean, I don't necessarily have to leave this state to be able to travel if you work in food. Um, you get to experience so much history in a singular plate or like getting to uh, work in a restaurant and wait on a table of tourists and get to hear about like where they're coming from, what they're experiencing, seeing somebody who's never uh, been attacked by chili and the <laughs> either fear or excitement on their face. Like you get to learn a lot working in food, even if you're in a static place. Um, so that's kind of how it happened. I've just, it's always been my comfort zone. I've tried to move out of it and I just, it's like this gravitational pull that keeps pulling me back. Yeah. Yeah. I like hospitality. I did. A, I worked in a hotel for a little while too at the front desk. I really liked that, but I tried, I tried doing other, other career related paths and they just never, I just always found myself back in a restaurant. Yeah. Um, this is a, an intersection for us as well, because um, when I started my own food journey as well, in 09, <clears throat> besides working front of the house and event managing and doing whatever else I was doing, um, every time I've tried to leave this like food media space and I'm like, peace out, I'm done with this. Um, there's this gravitational pull that like pulls me back into a different sector in a different way, in a different, and it's just like, give in already and listen to what the universe is telling you. Well, and every time you get tired of it too, there's something new to discover. Yeah. So it's always evolving. The conversation's always changing. And language and food, they're not static. Uh, so you can you can continue to learn and, and see new things continuously. What is the connect? Because you do a lot of advocacy work. What What made you kind of want to take that on through your, like, food ventures? Um... <clears throat> I've I've always had a, a an interest in like fundraising and advocacy even since I was young. I <laughs> I went to a, this small Catholic school and uh, I I just liked the idea of organizing and fundraising. Uh, when I was like eight and ten years old, I had founded a couple inaugural clubs at my Catholic school. I founded the Ghost Club, which was one of them, um, and we used to host fundraisers and bake sales at the at my school to, to find ghosts ghosts yeah yeah to okay. study to study paranormal activity at a catholic school at eight years at eight years old um i was and then when i was in high school i used to be um like an officer in a lot of different clubs and i would always run the, the fundraising side of it and reach out to local businesses or people to raise money for our organizations um and so i think just that like community side of that and uh like working to reallocate funds and wealth um, has been of interest to me and using a, whatever platform you have to do that. Uh, I think that the first big uh, push for that, the first thing that clicked for me here in New York was uh, when I was doing uh, markets and pop-ups for the Awkward Scone before I had mm -hmm. that as a fully 
realized brand. I was doing stuff like um, the Hester Street Fair or the Grand Bazaar Market. And one of the markets happened just a, a day after the uh, Orlando Massacre at the Pulse nightclub. And so that weekend, I had decided to donate all of the proceeds from the sale of these rainbow cakes that I had been selling um, in the full rainbow spectrum to the Victims Fund and decided to also raise funds for anyone who wanted to donate. And Hester Street Fair was really into that. And they matched all the donations and were able to raise like three or $4,000 that weekend to donate. And that felt very empowering to be able to use my own resources or, or platform to... Uh, to help advocate for other folks. And so that became a cornerstone of my business. Uh, yeah, it's that one moment. of the things I really love about you and just, you know, falling down a deep hole of the internet of researching you that like your fantastic food or your advocacy work is as much talked about as, as good as your food is. And so they're like, or neck and neck in everything you read about you, which is a really beautiful thing to see. Especially like, um, we talk often here on the podcast, uh, especially with those people, those of us in the LGBTQ community that work behind the line and how difficult that may be sometimes in, in regards to understanding and it being hyper-masculine and already a difficult place to work, you know? And so seeing you kind of turn it on its head this way is just really beautiful to see and and watch too, you know? Well, and yeah, I, I can't necessarily take like any credit for that kind of work. I'm just, I just happen to have a space where I can um, work to change the dynamics um, or where we can use our resources in a different way. We're starting fresh. And I think the pandemic really helped reset that for a lot of people yeah. um, because it gave everybody was forced to stop. And in New York, you never stop. You just keep going because it's a rat race and you're just trying to keep your head above water. And so you're doing whatever your business needs to do to survive. But back in 2020, when everybody was forced to shut down and rethink the future of our industry, it gave people an opportunity to start with a clean slate. And so when we opened Ursula, we were like, all right, this is it. This is how we're going to function. And you're either going to get with it or you're not. Whereas before there was so much more power in the hands of the consumer uh, to dictate the way that businesses were structured or ran their business. And there was a little, it's changed. It's, it's reverting back to where it used to be. But uh, at that time, people were a lot more patient and willing to, to see, uh, kind of the way that it's been reflected uh, back at them and be like, oh, you know what? We should be more considerate of uh, restaurant staff or we should be paying more for this so that other people can get paid or this and this and this. Um, and so it was, some of it was timing too. But there's there's people that have been working on this far before for me. And I'm- Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm doing the very least. That, uh, I'm just trying to like have a space where- um, you can come and work and feel like you're, you can be yourself uh, and feel safe being out. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting from the outside looking in that, um, or hearing you speak about yourself as saying that you're doing the very least when from the outside, it looks like you're doing the most in the best of all possible ways here, you know, um, yeah. which is great, which is uh, nice to hear. But like, I mean, we got to give credit where credit is due when you're doing the work. 
Well, I, yeah, I'll give, I'll take that back. I will give myself some credit. I do do a you lot know? of work and it's, it's, it's ongoing work. Cause you're, yeah, always- you're hustling like uh, in the best of all possible ways. What was coming out like for you? Um, it, for me, I built it up in my head a lot more than I think it needed to be. Uh, I grew up in a very Catholic Hispanic, uh, family and neighborhood and city and state. Uh, so all of the, a lot of those external pressures were weighing in on my mind or how I was, uh, anticipating the coming out process to be, uh, I just ended up having a much more understanding family and friend group than I could have imagined. But I internalized it a lot. I actually, um, I dropped out of college when I was 18, 18 or 19 and moved to West Hollywood to go like have a clean slate and go be, go be gay as gay as I could. Um, West Hollywood's a good place to do that. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that it was either like a phase or that maybe I was bisexual or that it was, yeah, that it wasn't something that was a permanent, uh, thought or that I was going to act on because I had not slept with men until I was in West Hollywood. But uh, I just I remember having an attraction to men as a child, but it, it didn't equate to anything sexual for me uh, or I just I didn't understand it as such. I also grew up kind of sheltered at a Catholic school, so I didn't understand all of those things. Um, but I uh, I went to watch the World Cup in L.A. when I was uh 18 and I went into West Hollywood. I drove down Santa Monica. I went by myself. My friend dipped out on me. Uh, and I remember driving down Santa Monica and seeing men and women walking down the street, holding hands, kissing each other out in public. But I, I was like, Oh my God, I got to avert my eyes. I can't, I can't see this. Um, and I couldn't get the, the like gumption to get out of my car and go out. So I went back to my hotel uh, stayed the night in my hotel. And then the next night I tried it again and I went to one of the gay bars. I think I went to rage. If anyone's familiar with the old West Hollywood. Um, and I danced with a a guy for the first time made out with him. And I was like, this is incredible. This is magical. It's so liberating. It's so free that like people are out here just being themselves and fearless of being attacked or ostracized. And they're just like living this free, free gay life. And so I got back to Albuquerque and I told my family, I was like, I'm moving to L.A. next month. And I did. I dropped out of college and moved to L.A. and spent a year there just kind of having my own self-exploration journey. I hated L.A. and I moved back to New Mexico. But it was a very (laughs) uh, important step for me and a a big part of my journey. Yeah. And I told told my family slowly and everybody was just like, okay. Um, Or we knew my... Took my mom out to lunch and was like crying over a plate of enchiladas, uh, telling her that I was gay. And she was like, I know. I've always loved you. I've always known. And uh, it was it was very much like that. My sister was like, okay, I don't care. Um, and I never, my mom's side of the family, I was always more fearful of because they, my dad has a gay brother. And so it was a little easier on that side of the family because they had already become accustomed to that. And they were my uncle was a huge part of the family still and they respected him and his life and loved him. So I wasn't fearful of my dad's side, but my mom's side of the family was like very Hispanic macho uh, family would use the F word uh, as, as a slur uh, very often. 
And so I just didn't want to tell any of them and just kind of let them all find out or figure out on their own. And now they all know. I was actually afraid that Ursula herself was going to be afraid. She's, she's very, very religious. Uh, and I thought she was going to that it was going to affect her. Cause I've always been like one of her favorite grandchildren. Um, mm -hmm. and I was afraid that she would find out, but she cornered one of my ex-boyfriends at a family event once. And she was like, just so you know, other people love Eric too. You have to share him. Uh, <laughs> why is it the grand? Why is it the grandparents that are always the coolest for the most part? You know, yeah, I mean, she hasn't always been that way. She's definitely it's been a, a journey for her to soften. But I was shocked um, to find to find out that she had told my boyfriend that. I love that. I love that. I I also love um, this image of crying over enchiladas. What with your mom being like, "What's the issue?" You know? <laughs> It's, and this is a this is a part of food. Food's like such a connector. It's such a connector of memories, and you you think about you remember those things. Yeah, um, you know, and like just like the the drawbacks of like certain certain food items that like kind of like throw you back to certain times and certain places, which is really beautiful. I want to thank you for sharing. I always say we never know who's listening and who we can affect with our stories. So it's important to hear. I also love that I I always start this podcast before we hit record being like, I'm trying not to be Barbara Walters. This is going to be really fun. And then it's just, it's just like deep question after deep. <laughs> it is fun though. I feel like we all get a little from hearing each other's stories. We all have it. Absolutely. And, I, and it's something we don't get to hear. And this is kind of why, this is why I've started this podcast this way and why this podcast is what it is this day today is that yeah we i can read a thousand articles about you and how great your burritos are and how like you have to get to ursula at like six in the morning to line up and whatever and how and all the good things that you're doing but we don't get to see this side of you i like i like this full well-rounded picture of just you you know yeah, when you see stuff online, it's usually like what the food media or the journalist um, perspective is, or they're they're telling the story for themselves. Yeah, they're using some of the information that you provide or that they can find, but it's not it's not necessarily you being the narrator. Yeah. So I I appreciate opportunities like this too, but I also just like I like conversation. I love that. Well, I I hope you're gonna we're gonna cut out to the break right now, and I hope you're gonna love this next section. <laughs> In your mouth, listeners, Eric and I are going to split a lover's burrito or something. I don't know. Uh, have a mimosa this morning. And we'll be right back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, Eric, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update! Mm -hmm. uh, food News, <laughs> honey. 
You ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. New Mexico could become the first state with an official scent, and it's delicious. Oh my! I just read that. I'm not here for it. I wait. What? We just had this whole conversation about chiles. Yeah, it's too kitschy. We already we have a state cookie. We have a state question. They have a Christmas red or green. That's the state question in New Mexico. A a scent? No, 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 no. I'm not here for it. Really? <laughs> and this is where you were asking about, like, why is there so much pride? Why is everybody pushing everything? This is, for me, it's overboard. That's too much. Wow. There's other, there's other money, legislative money that could be used, uh, or it could be used for other things and for, like, taking a vote on whether or not we're going to have a state cent and any of the tourism centered around that. But Wow. So, Senator Bill Solis, um, inspired by a Chile presentation led by fifth graders, proposed the smoky sweet scent of chiles to become the state's official aroma. It's a very it's very unique to our state, he shared with the Associated Press. I have tried to think of any other state that has a smell or aroma that is distinctive statewide, and I can't think of any. Obviously, he's never been to New Jersey. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what would New, New York State scent be? <laughs> of hot garbage and yeah. um, and pizza? I don't know. Yeah, I'd be here for that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not here for the state scent? Like, we, you don't want to, like, bottle some, like... Um... No, you actually can. I, <laughs> I say this. I say I'm not here for it. And I actually sell uh, green chili air fresheners. <laughs> I love so. that. There's a there's a family behind Chile Fanatic, a beloved chili shop in Hatch that sells freshly pickled, dried, frozen, and even jarred Hatch chili, uh, green chili peppers. And they shared with Food & Wine that they, too, can get behind the state scent bill, you know, as they know the sentimental power of the unmistakable smell. I'm very surprised that you are not here for this. It's just, to me, it's a, it's a waste of, uh, like, legislative power um i okay. don't i don't want to um negate the um accomplishments of these fifth graders uh so i i could get behind supporting them but i, I there's other I, I don't know it's not i'm not here for it all right all right so we're not here for it <laughs> sorry new mexico <laughs> i thought this was going to be a better turnout <laughs> <laughs> Suspected Italian mob member found hiding in plain sight as a pizza chef in France. I mean, I'm not surprised by that. I actually... uh, That's baller, actually. What's what? I think it's baller. I think it's it's an excellent move. Have you ever seen Better Call Saul? Uh, No, but I was obviously a big on Breaking Bad, yeah. That's a, so the first episode, the first scene is it like cuts to where Saul is at now. And he's like running from uh, people, but he's working in a mall in like Iowa. I don't know if it's in Iowa, so don't come at me. Uh, but he's working at like um, a Cinnabon or something, just trying to like hide and live his life in peace. And so that's immediately what I thought of for that. But it's so funny. So um, in July 2021, the French newspaper Les, Pro- Les Progrès covered the opening of Café Rossini Ristorante, an Italian spot in Saint-Étienne. 
Paolo Dimitrio opens the Italian restaurant of his dreams, the headline read. And the accompanying article said that the chef and owner, Dimitrio, would be creating elaborate Italian cuisine. Um, Lo and behold, he was actually Edgardo Greco, a member of the notorious uh, Drangheta Mafia, who had been on the run for 16 years. Wow. He previously had been convicted and handed a life sentence for the murder of two brothers from a rival gang. He was also wanted for the attempted murder of another mobster as part of Southern Italy's mafia wars in the late 90s. And Teresa Judice is the GM. <laughs> Listen, I used to work for a family of notoriety, of Italian oh, yeah. notoriety, uh, back on Columbia Street, back in the early 2000s. And some of the madness that ensued, it was, it was crazy. I can it's only crazy. imagine. Sometimes we need to start over. <laughs> I just love that he was like, he fully made an entire career and was like a chef of notoriety. So much so and that they were... We knew until then. Yeah. That, right? Yeah. Wow. I mean, <laughs> if you're... I, I feel like he's probably used to hiding, so... Yeah, I mean, but hiding in plain sight, like... Yeah. <laughs> and, and like killing it at the same time. <laughs> I'm curious how many other instances of something of the sort there are. How many of our other uh, chefs or politicians or former monsters running to the law? Yeah, probably more than we realize, you know? I mean, you could probably fall fall down a dark hole on the internet somewhere, somehow. Oh, I'm I'm sure there's plenty of conspiracy sites, too. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. I'm I'm here for this only because I'm curious uh, about the food. Okay. <laughs> but what happens now? Also, now that that's been discovered, like, is he still? Uh... Yeah, he's going to jail. Okay, so they're like, "All right, fun's over. <laughs> You're coming with us now." He's going to jail. Hopefully, he left some like a good sous chef in his steed, you know, <laughs> yeah. to I'm keep up to... the restaurant. I'm going to have to look this one up. Yeah, and what's the future of the restaurant now? Yeah, you know, well, hopefully, like, the restaurant keeps making money and then it pads his, like, uh, commissary dollars, right? Isn't that how that works? Oh, okay. All right. I see. You're you're in full support. <laughs> <laughs> we here on In Your Mouth do not support any criminal activity. <laughs> only, only the good food that it produces. And last but not least, I guess in honor of, not I guess, in honor of Black History Month, uh, Cory Booker wants to empower a new generation of Black for, uh, farmers. Booker reintroduced the Justice for Black Farmers Act, which aims to protect current Black farmers and pave the way for future Black growers. 100% here for that. Uh, actually, a couple of my good friends work with the Black Farmers Fund here in New York, too, that work to do some of the same advocacy and help support uh, Black-owned farms here in New York. Uh, so yeah, I, I, didn't, I, I knew a little bit about this, but apparently this is major. Um, so in 1920, nearly 1 million Black farmers existed in the U.S., making up about 14% of the national farming community. Today, less than 2% remain. And that's why uh, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey hopes to change all of that with the Black Farmers Act of 2023. 
Well, I think that this could be its own episode, deep diving into why it went from 14 to 2 percent. But um, we have to get Michael Twitty back on the pod. That's, yeah, that, that's a whole other episode. But yeah. that being said, this is moving the needle forward um, and I'm 100 percent here for it. Yeah, I'm here for it, too. I think this is all good vibes. And this is something that he's introduced twice before, but is uh, slated to pass this year. Um, with um, with as like a bulk um, a bulk act with other things. Um, do you know Do you know anything about the timelines of when it would go into effect and how how it's supposed to uh, be distributed or how? People- no, this article is from Food and Wine, so we just get we just get bullet points here. Yeah, very superficial. So um, I'm sure there'll be more information to come out. I'm I'm gonna look into that myself. There there will be, and I I just thought this was um a great topic and something that I know very very little to nothing about. So, you know, well, that time our government does more than just the least. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's the perfect way to end. Food! <laughs> Something! <laughs> I hope that carries you forward. Like, that 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 just brings you joy for the rest of the week. Food news update. It, it will. Uh, certainly for today. Uh, it, it helped boost my serotonin levels. Wait, serotonin is not for sleeping, right? Yeah, serotonin is the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That and spam. Um, yeah. I actually just had a spam cake last night. It's funny. That I saw it with little hearts. Yeah. Um, at, at like an all-star queer like chef, like little house birthday party. It was, it was a really good group of people. We were celebrating Rachel Gerger, uh, who's the test kitchen editor for Bon Appetit. It was her birthday. Yes. Who was also, uh, who we also talked about on this pod many moons ago, right? Because of all the drama. Oh yeah, right. yeah, and hopefully that's resolved in her favor. Um, shout out to you uh, and happy birthday, Rachel! You know, if you're listening, you know, Le- Leanne Gann made that beautiful little spam cake with the little seared spam hearts that were so cute. Yes, oh my god, uh, that's right. Um, the Rihanna concert is coming up as well as Valentine's Day. Do we have plans for uh, either one? No, actually, I think we still have to confirm it, but I think there'll be a pop-up at Ursula for Valentine's Day. One of my former staff, Tien, um, is hosting. Last year, they did a T4T Valentine's Day pop-up, and I believe that they're planning on doing it again this year. We put it on the calendar, but we haven't put out a flyer yet. Lovely. Is Is that good for singles as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Single ladies like myself? Single, single everybody, yes. Right. (laughs) Coupled, poly, monogamous, whoever wants to come. Serial monogamists. Celebrate love. I love that. Self-love, poly love. I love that. I just did an Instagram poll the other day. Uh, Valentine's Day, bop or chop. Valentine's Day definitely got a chop. (laughs) I think think it should get a chop, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've also had an. I've been single for like the last three or four years. I don't even. I've lost count. Same, same, <laughs> same. It's okay, you know. It's only when it's. It's only when it's really cold or I'm not feeling well that I miss not being single. You know. <laughs> oh, see, when I'm sick, I don't want anyone near me. So uh, that's when I actually appreciate it. Oh no, I just like, like, rub my tummy or like. 
Make me food. Go, go get yeah. me. Go get me things. Yeah. Go get me things. Right. Yeah. <laughs> tell, me, tell me I'm pretty even when I'm sick. Exactly. Those things. <laughs> well, my dog, my dog looks at me with love, lorn eyes when I'm sick. So that that's my that's my boost. All right. And the name of your autobiography. Love, Lauren, love, Lauren eyes. Yes. <laughs> there might be some other, there might be some other. Uh, and other tales of the green hatch chili. Love, Lauren eyes. Another tale. Yes. yes. <laughs> a, a book, a memoir by Eric C. What's next for you? Um, well, we are moving our location, our current location of Ursula in Crown Heights to a new um, location in bed hopefully in March, first or second week in March. We will be adding indoor seating and a liquor license, which are new for us. Um, we op- I opened Ursula in 2020 kind of just as a quick pivot to make some money, not actually thinking it was going to last. And now we're two and a half years in and moving to a larger location. So I'm excited for that. There'll be some uh, new programming that comes along with that. We have a backyard. Uh, one of my staff is really a big movie buff and wants to host like a queer horror movie night. I love that. Which that would be really cute. Yeah. Yeah. So excited to see what the new space brings to life. We'll be doing dinner, which we've never done before. So I love uh, that. That's that's what I have going on. That's going to take over my life for the foreseeable future. Well, that's the, those are all good things. Yeah. It's exciting. It's uh, nerve-wracking. The, like the, the economy is always so unstable and running a business is scary in New York. Um, but it's exciting when you talk about like uh, how your actions or um, the way you move can impact people and you don't necessarily know to see the positive reaction from the community or other queer entrepreneurs to see this place continuing to thrive um, feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. Are we are we excited about the James Beard Awards? Well, I'm a, a semi-finalist right now, so we don't know yet. Uh, oh, oh, okay. This, so this we're not is, Beyonce status yet. <laughs> not yet. This is my second nomination, which is really exciting. Last year, we were a finalist for Best New Restaurant. So we did go to Chicago last year. They only take the finalists to the awards. Um, and right now, I'm on the long list, the semi-finalist list for Best Chef in New York. It's a pretty stacked list. So I I'm not that. getting my hopes up, but along uh, with like friend to the pod, I think Chef Mavis J too is on there. Did no, Ma- no, because Mavis J is not working at a restaurant right now. But Mavis J was a um, leadership award winner last year. Oh, was that it? Is that what I saw? She's she's my friend that works with the Black Farmer Fund that I was just talking about. I I love um, Mav- Mavis J has been has graced. Uh, us with her presence on the pod. It's time for her to come back, actually. I got to reach out. We should have a duel. She comes and works out uh, over here every once in a while. Um, and she leaves me little notes on my uh, whiteboard here. I love that. I love her. I we love her. We have a duel, a duel uh, podcast. Yeah, I need to, you know what? I need to figure out how to get all... A multi... All, di- multi. No, but just like have like a space where all these all the queer food, my queer food village that I've created over the last five years, because next week will be five years of me being in your mouth um, in all in one space, you know, like a big Brady Bunch family. Yeah. Square. 
And just to like, just to like commune and nothing more, you know, <laughs> leave your phones at the door. We just want to be this, you know? Oh, like a IRL, not like a podcast. Like yeah. A, yeah. I think like an we, IRL. <laughs> I, I, I think for, a, for those of you old people, uh, that means in real life. <laughs> in real life convening. Yeah, no, the, I I adore those opportunities of getting the queer food community together to dine and enjoy each other's company. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I want to I thank know. you for being here and giving me time out of your very, very busy schedule. Um, I love that we, it's really special that we've been like kind of just crossing, crossing paths. And now, now is the time where we've really like kind of sat down and like, met met you know what i mean yeah it was, it's always been very transient i think yeah. i told you uh that we had met at a a jackie gordon event yeah. jackie gordon knows everyone panel yes she she what was um what was the name of the her brand because she was doing like comedy uh, uh the um, uh the uh, uh, she's like diva that ate New York. But then she was, stuff, wasn't it or something like she that? She was doing something where she was singing with chocolate and she had this chocolate necklace that I didn't understand how it didn't melt. <laughs> then, um, yeah, she she's somebody else that uh, um, that does a ton of things too, you know? Yeah, yeah she was definitely a Jack, Jackie of all trades. Yeah. Absolutely. Shout out to you, Jackie Gordon. Well, thank you so much for being here and giving me of your time. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And it's been very, very special. If they want to follow you, uh, give the kids all the handles. Eric at, or my personal, sorry, is at Eric the Awkward Scone on Instagram. Uh, Ursula is at Ursula, U-R-S-U-L-A underscore Brooklyn. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Once again, big shout out to Eric C. for being on the podcast today. In Your Mouth listeners, have a great week. Eat delicious things, stay warm, and try not to burn down the house with your uh, (laughs) space heaters like I almost did because that's not fun and we want you to be safe, right? And happy molasses bar day. Oh my God. Yeah. And happy molasses bar day. And other than that, all I got to say is thank you for listening to In Yo